Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. If you turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 1, it's, guys, you know how it seems like Christmas starts earlier every single year? I'm kind of in a, I can't believe I'm doing this sort of moment. Uh, because Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 is, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. So welcome to the Christmas season. I hope you're ready. Uh, but uh, next slide. But this was my backyard on Friday morning. And, and I thought, yeah, okay, I guess we're getting a little closer uh, than I'm used to thinking at the end of October. Uh, of all things. But we're, we're starting Christmas not because our culture is just creeping ahead and skipping Thanksgiving because as soon as trick or treating is done, all the stores are full of Christmas stuff. No, it's, it's this. We're longing for Jesus. You know, I think each of us, if we look in moments in our lives during this year, there have been, there have been ways that the Holy Spirit had just kind of recently hooked that part of our heart that's meant to be longing for the Lord and longing for eternity. In in funeral times during this year, we've acknowledged it explicitly that we are longing to see him face to face, that he would come and break into our world now as our prayer. That's what we pray every time we pray the Lord's prayer. Lord, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. And the incarnation, meaning the God himself coming as a person like you and me, as a baby in Jesus Christ, it demonstrates that God breaks in to this world in person. And there's a longing that he's placed in each of our hearts to see him, to be there face to face. And there's this traditional Advent season that the church has historically celebrated for a couple thousand years or so now that focuses on the four Sundays before Christmas, right? And if you grew up in a traditional church, you may be uh, accustomed to the decor changing and, you know, a liturgy that goes with this. But the heart of the tradition is this. The word Advent is the Latin translation of the Greek word parousia, which speaks of the appearing. It's about the return of Jesus Christ that God would appear and break in. And when we approach Christmas, it's tempting to only look backwards to the manger. When today Jesus is on his throne and we're longing for him to return again. And Christmas season is meant to mingle those. We look forward to his return because he's already come. And so as we look and we think about the birth of Jesus Christ, it's part of the promise that will be fully fulfilled when Jesus returns. And the reality is we long for him. Let's pray. Lord, even as we were singing that we lift up our eyes, Lord, we do. We lift our eyes to the hills because our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And Lord, even as Jason was saying earlier, God, our minds are blown that the maker of heaven and earth would draw near, that you would come close, that you'd be born that you'd walk among us, that you'd give your life, that you'd rise from the dead, that you would send your Holy Spirit and be with us always, even to the end of the age. So Lord, we pray that you'd help us today to step into your season, 
not just what our culture is saying about Christmas and holidays, but we'd step into a season, Lord, where we're conscious of you, where we can discern by your spirit what you're doing in our own lives and in this day and time. And Lord, that we would, along with saints throughout the centuries, long for your appearing, as your word says. In Jesus' name, amen. And so Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. And I want to just literally pause here in our reading because Matthew is saying a lot in that sentence. And just saying Jesus Christ, he's, he's tipping his whole hand for the message that he's bringing through this gospel because Matthew's making no secret about who he says has been born. When we say Jesus Christ, we've encapsulated the gospel into his name. Christ is, is not like Jesus' last name. It wasn't like his dad's surname uh, or what he filled in on the SAT blocks. Christ is a title. It's a title that speaks of the Messiah, God's appointed Savior King, the anointed one, the one that heaven has set its favor and anointing on to be the one who brings the kingdom of God here to earth. And Jesus, we're going to see it in a minute, is the instruction that the angel from heaven gave to Joseph to say, name this child Jesus, because he'll save his people from their sins. And so Matthew is declaring something here. He's not just recounting history for us. He's making a proclamation. He says, the king's come. This is how the birth of Jesus, God's chosen savior king, came about. That's what he means right here. And the verses 1 through 17 are a genealogical account that Matthew has constructed in a way to emphasize that Jesus is the promised king who was to come, that he's the promised heir of King David. He's the one who fulfills uh, the promises to Abraham. And now he insists that this Jesus, the Christ, was conceived by the Holy Spirit to the Virgin Mary. He's God himself who's been born not just a human origin. And so as we read, realize, listen, no matter who you think Jesus is, who Matthew thinks Jesus is, is very clear. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew is proclaiming the king has come. This is God himself who's been born to save his people from their sins. I think being able to, to recognize that we've got to read scripture as God's speaking to us, it's sunk in for me. Uh, when I was in high school, I grew up uh, being, I was going to say going to church. It might be more appropriate to say my parents dragging me along to church. And, but the church that we were going to um, kind of treated the Bible like it was a book of, of good stories, like a lot of other books that have good stories. And so I learned all of the Bible stories, but I didn't treat them as having any authority in my life. And when I was in high school, I was invited to some Bible studies in a warehouse by a friend. And it was the first time I really encountered people who took the Bible really seriously and said, these, these aren't just words. These are God's words to us. And I discovered there, God's made himself known to us in this book and particularly in the person of Jesus Christ. This is how we know who God is. And when Matthew says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about, he's giving us a divine interpretation of the historical events. And there's actually two separate accounts in the scripture. Matthew provides one. Luke provides another. The four different gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
they give us four distinct lenses on what the Lord was doing in and through the life of Jesus. And we don't try to average those out or to create some kind of historical reduction of all of them. We let each one speak with the power that the Holy Spirit intended it to speak with. And now over the next eight weeks or so, coming up to Christmas, we'll be back and forth between both Matthew and, and Luke, not trying to stitch it all together, but to allow specific passages to speak with force and clarity to us. And so here it is in Matthew chapter one. Here's how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. All right, let's just pause and look at that, right? This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. There was a couple who were making plans to get married. They were ready, planning the wedding. And all of a sudden it got really messy for them when God broke in. I mean, that's a, that's an awkward and difficult situation is how Matthew is describing God breaking in with his saving power. Well, he continues in verse 19 that because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. This was happening at a time when prior to the wedding, the marriage was already basically signed, sealed, and delivered. The arrangements would be made between the families. Everything was set up almost contractually. It was there. And, you know, they hadn't closed on the house yet, but they were basically there. And so he's using language of husband and divorce prior to the wedding. But look what happens. Verse 20. But after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. And that doesn't mean his dad was necessarily named David. He's talking about his descent from King David and where that places him in the promises and purpose of God. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And let that last bit sink in. So when we sing a song like, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. When we sing a song, here's what it means. It means that God, the one who is who he is, the unchanging one through all generations, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Jesus, to us today is with us. He's come. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do. And he took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. My friends, the incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ shows us heaven really isn't so far away. God is not remote, far off and distant. And it also shows us that in a remarkable way, the break in of heaven into earth comes in a very down to earth sort of way. It's this paradoxical mingling of angels and ordinary 
all mixed together. Because when God breaks in, moving his purpose forward, bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, it involves people. It takes time and patience. And there's responsibilities involved that take years of diligence and faithfulness for the fruit to be born. And there's a messiness in it for the people who are directly involved. And being, it's like somehow being part of God, breaking in to bring his kingdom. It's kind of disruptive. It just breaks in. And what you thought you were doing gets swallowed up in what God's doing. I mean, Joseph's dreams, Joseph's own dreams and plans for his marriage and his family, they take a major hit when he finds out that his fiance is pregnant and he knows it's not him. The the process here of what the angel is revealing is breaking into his own thinking about how he's going to handle this situation, what he's going to do. The angel is playing catch up to what all, God has already done. Do you recognize that? The angel didn't come to Joseph to announce that Mary was going to become pregnant. He's already found out. He knows it's not him. He's making his own plans to deal with it. And then God graciously visits him as well, as he had done with Mary, and visits Joseph also. But the way Matthew tells the story, here we've got a righteous man, a good guy, right? And he's in a place of disappointment. His dreams are broken. It's like, I thought we were going to have a future together. I'm just going to have to end this in a way that doesn't put her into public shame because he genuinely cares about her. He's just figuring out, how am I going to put this quietly behind me and move on? And yet somehow the death of his dream is the beginning of his calling. Joseph is visited by this angel. And God clearly, he's bringing in, Joseph, there's an angel, all right? It's not an ordinary night. And the angel shows up and it's clear God has a special plan and purpose for Joseph. God is going to use Joseph in a world-changing way. And his special calling from God, do you know what it boils down to? Marry the girl, raise the kid. An angel shows up and the world-changing calling that God has for Joseph, marry the girl, raise the kid. That's what it boils down to. And when God breaks in here, as his kingdom comes in power, he's coming in an authentic way, but it's not a way that removes the challenges or the responsibilities of daily life. And he doesn't do it in a way that really restores back to Joseph's, Joseph's own dream. Said he calls Joseph to trade Joseph's dream for God's purpose and to live with God's purpose in a priority and think of his family in a new and different way. He's calling Joseph to participate in how heaven's transforming earth, but it's going to cost Joseph the center of gravity that he thought his family was going to revolve around. Suddenly Joseph isn't the centerpiece of his own home anymore. Jesus is. Do you see the difference for him? Because as a man, probably older than Mary, he's established. He's bringing Mary into his world, his life. He's expecting her to help him. He's going to build a family now around basically himself. And when Jesus arrives, it changes the center of gravity. And now it's all revolving around Jesus. And Joseph will have to give himself into the unglamorous labor 
of raising a child who isn't even biologically his own and obediently responding to God in the ongoing disruptions on behalf of the future of that child. And I find it semi-comfortable to just watch that about Joseph if I can keep it at arm's length. But it gets kind of uncomfortable for me when I realize that it's not unique to Joseph. It's a pattern of God's calling for our own lives. And God, in the way God pictures the story here, it's not an optional invitation. Matthew describes it as a command. He, You know, it's politely phrased, don't be afraid to take Mary into your home because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It sort of sounds like, no, you can do it if you want to. Well, he did want to. His heart was there. But ultimately, it's described as what the angel commanded him to do. And God's purpose for our lives is not optional, brothers and sisters. You know, it's, there's something in us that tends to drag our feet. We can acknowledge, we can even say out loud, I know what God wants is, but we're still kind of like finding our slowest way to do it. Our kids do that when we ask them to do things, don't they? Clean up your room, time to go to bed. Yeah, we take our time. But in reality, what delights the heart of the Lord is when we respond like Joseph does. And we just we just get up and do it. Like, okay, if that's what you're saying, I'm going to go ahead and do that. And this obedience is the essence of faith. Because faith, the faith that trusts God says, okay, I trust you enough to do what you say. And so the faith that's is only revealed really in the actions of trust and obedience. So we're saying, God, I trust you. And therefore, I'll do what you say, even when it conflicts with what I was planning, even when it seems hard, even when it's kind of scary, even when it might expose me to public gossip and some shame. Well, the calling doesn't just start with some of that cost. It continues in the midst of difficulty. Because after the child is born, that we see a pattern in the initial nativity account in the response here in Matthew 1 that is mirrored over and over through Jesus's life and ministry, which is this. Some come to worship. Some try to kill and destroy. Uh, there is obedience and worship. Those, the magi, the wise men who come bringing gifts. And there are those who are in opposition and they want to destroy. It's pictured by Herod, who shortly after the child's birth, says, I'm not going to have any competition for my throne. If they say a king has been born, I'm going to kill him. And he sends soldiers and, and troops to try to destroy the king, the newborn king, and ultimately ends up killing all the children two years and younger in the area around where Jesus was born. And and this principle of the kingdom moving forward and this mingling of worship and opposition is true throughout the life of Jesus, continues to our day today. It's one reason why next week, next Sunday, we're going to take time to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters in other parts of the world um, because it's a pattern that continues even in our own time. No, but the angel of the Lord appears again, uh, and it could be a year, a year and a half later, somewhere where up to two years was a window that Herod used. And we can pick up the story in chapter 2, verse 13. And it says, when they had gone, meaning when the Magi who had come from the east and brought gifts and worship and adoration for the newborn king, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, 
for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother. When? Right away. During the night. And left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. You know, if you if you see through the moments of the angels speaking, you'll see that the hand of God is here in the very ordinary realities of life. For Joseph, for Mary, for Jesus himself as he grows. You have this mingling of some are coming to worship, some want to kill and destroy. There's moments of angels speaking, and, and yet there's years of quiet faith being worked out in times of silence. The glory is is happening. It's being found in the middle of the ordinary stuff of life. And it's where faith happens for you and I as well, in the midst of the responsibilities that God's called us to. Faith isn't the thing that we exercise when we can step out of life's ordinary responsibilities. Life's ordinary responsibilities are the very environment where God meets us and where we walk out our faith. Because the kingdom comes in the midst of opposition, hardship, responsibility, faithfulness. I mean, you've got God's own son living in your household. What could be more blessed than that? But getting up in the middle of the night, packing up just a couple of bags and fleeing to another country as a refugee to save the child's life. It doesn't feel like a blessing. Tradition has that um, Joseph was a carpenter. Say goodbye to any and all of your established clients. Business that you spent years working and networking people that know to come to you or refer someone to you when they need something done. And off you go to a foreign country where you don't speak the language and you don't know people. Why are you doing this? It's because of your faithfulness to the calling to care for the child and a responsiveness to the Holy Spirit directing you in doing it. And yet in the disruption, in the difficulty, in the sacrifice, God's in it and God's advancing and moving his purpose forward. And it's in these places where the obedience of faith happens, especially in these hard moments. That's where our relationship with the Lord becomes so much deeper and richer than it would be if we were just carrying on with life without being conscious of the Lord. So we worship by trading the things we've built for ourselves, for following him and putting him in first place in our lives. Please, guys, it it matters so much. Don't miss the nearness of heaven to your life. Don't miss that God actually is near by his spirit to you and to I. God's drawn near through Jesus Christ. He broke through. He was born on earth. He lives here. And when Jesus rose again and returned to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit with a promise. He would never leave us or forsake us. He said, I'll be with you always till the end of the age. I think one of the bizarre things, globally speaking, one of the things about our particular culture that is peculiar is the way that we separate the spiritual from things that you and I think are real. There's something in our culture that thinks that the physical, things we can see with our eyes, that's the real stuff. And the spiritual stuff that we can't see is somehow other, less important, or somehow even less real. Here in the West, we think of spiritual and normal as two different categories. And it's in our vocabulary, right? We even use the language supernatural 
uh, when we want to talk about something that God's done in the spiritual as if it's a completely different category than what happens in the natural. But God is not absent in the physical. God is not absent in the so-called ordinary. When I graduated from college, which was um, would have been 1990, I had this like freshly minted piece of paper saying I had a degree in chemistry, and I de- delayed my admission to graduate school for a year, and I moved to Sri Lanka, and I spent time living in Sri Lanka with a community of Christians outside of the, the capital, Colombo. And Sri Lanka at that time was, still is, uh, a Buddhist-majority country with a Hindu minority and a very small number of Christians. And guys, it was a different world for me because I'd come from this place where my daily life was full of laboratories, libraries, academia, uh, things being very intellectual and spiritual things were like this other category that's sort of remotely off there. And you don't have to be in a university for it to be that way, right? You can be working in the steel mill and it feels like spiritual things have nothing to do with what's happening in the day-to-day working of life. And yet, on the other hand, the people I got to know living in Sri Lanka, they acted as though the spiritual realm was inseparable from the things that were happening in daily life. In fact, for most people, a good part of every day was spent doing actions and intentionally trying to avoid offending various spirits. And so there was this conscious awareness that the unseen was intertwined with what was visible. And instead of thinking natural and unnatural or so-called supernatural, the mentality is, well, there's visible and they're not visible, but both are real. And, folks, and that's in a non-Christian culture. How much more is we're reading scripture and we find that you know, God's there in the mix and it could be in the middle of, of a night that the angel starts speaking to Joseph and he says to go and lo and behold, God is present. He's dwelling in the home, but he's growing up as a baby. I mean, it's, I mean, we've, we've had so many Christmas specials. We're so familiar with the story. I mean, do you ever consider it remarkable that, you know, you've seen the Charlie Brown special, right? Uh, which follows Luke's gospel. Uh, the angel appears, you have shepherds, they go, and the announcement is what? Heaven's broken in, the child is born, the king has come, the promise is fulfilled. Here he is, we're gonna go see him and worship him. And then what? It takes 30 years before Jesus grows up and starts to do anything. And yet God's present throughout all of this. He's there in the midst of it. So brothers and sisters, please, I appeal to you, do not fall prey to the illusion of naturalism. Don't fall prey to the idea that God is distant because in his reality is also his nearness. You can't escape the Lord. He is spirit He's truth. And there's nowhere that you and I can go where we could get away from him. And there's no place that we can be that's out of his reach. I think realizing that the remarkable thing is that so many things can seem natural to us. Right? And, and this is such an important fact about how God really works in his world. He comes and he's present, but not in a way that is always distinct from what he set up, you know, the things that he's made, the the natural things. He looked at it. He said, this is good. And so please don't get caught in a divide between the physical and the spiritual. God's made it all. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He's the ruler of it all. And he works in the midst of the ordinary as well as the extraordinary. 
And so even as we were singing, lift your eyes, open your eyes, pray that God would open your eyes so that we can see him operating and so we can invite the work in the Holy Spirit every day. Because Christ's kingdom is coming. You see it here in Matthew's account. Christ's kingdom is coming in the ordinary framework of life, in pregnancies, in birth, in naming children, in raising children, in packing up and moving from one place to another for work or for safety and doing the responsibilities of raising a family, in facing opposition and hardship. It's all there together. And in the midst of it, we follow. In the midst of it, we find a profound obedience and worship as the presence of God is among us. And there's this response in our part that's essential because God calls us into his working, not as spectators, but as co-workers, as participants. Uh, he doesn't call us just to see that he's somehow not far away and close. His nearness pulls us into what he's doing. And so for you and me, this response of obedience of faith is where the rubber really meets the road. It's where in our lives, not just Joseph's life, that the center of gravity has to orbit around Jesus. It's got to be Jesus in the middle where we revise our own dreams and we put Jesus in the center. And it's about now for you and for me, what's it take for me to honor Jesus, to prioritize Jesus, to make all the decisions I make about where I live and how I work and what I do be about what's best for Jesus, not just for me. Um, help us out here with the next slide, if you would, Adam. Uh, I want to introduce you to a little restaurant uh, in Denver. You can't go there easily from here, uh, but it's called Pizzability. And, and Pizzability is a restaurant that was started around a goal to have Basically, the majority, primarily its employees and workers, are all people with significant forms of disabilities. Uh, they have blind employees. Uh, they have an employee with cerebral palsy. Some are developmentally delayed and so on. And, uh, and it was kind of barely eking along because nobody really knew about it um, until – next slide – until a local reporter put this tweet out this past July um, that highlighted – that there were people who would walk by and they wouldn't go in. They'd make some kind of negative comment about the people who work there. Uh, and when this caught people's attention, Pizzability became an instant sensation. Uh, and suddenly they went from having, you know, maybe having $50 of business in a day to $4,000 of business in a day. Uh, and people just were flooding. People were literally coming from all over the country to go to Pizzability and to see that they were there. And here's, here's an ironic thing. So, and they said to the, the lady, the lady who started it, she was a special education teacher and she started this. She started a, uh, another business or two with a similar sort of concept and model as well. Uh, and she said new customers who came were explaining, yeah, we saw her by the internet and we wanted to come and just kind of support and help. That lasted about two weeks. And, and the owner said that many of these people who came, having seen this on the Internet and wanting to be part of supporting it, complained about the long lines and having to wait in line and the service being slow. And, and she went on to describe how, how many people were coming just to take selfies of themselves, having been there. She talks about uh, one customer uh, who came in, ordered a pizza, canceled the order took his selfies and left. 
It's like you couldn't even pay $2 for a slice of pizza to come here. And, and it's like a snapshot of how many people come to visit Jesus in the manger in a similar way. Um, that somehow we want to see the excitement and we want to somehow be part of it. You know, <laughs> I don't know if there's a metaphor for trying to take a selfie with, with Jesus like this. But what God's calling us to is not to come as tourists. It's not even to come as customers. It's to be co-workers in what he's doing in the world. To come and be part of something that he's doing and to join in. Joseph he did that. It says he woke up. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And where necessary, brothers, sisters, wake up. Come do what God's saying. Don't drag your feet. You may feel like it's a disruptive moment in the middle of the night, but there's never anything more important than welcoming the presence and person of Jesus Christ into your home and into your life. Listen, What the word says here, he came to save his people from their sins. Jesus is here to save you from your sins. It's been my experience, it's been the experience of many of us. If you've never said, Lord Jesus, I I need your forgiveness. I give you my life. Let today be the morning where you do that. But having done that, do not just say, life is going to go back to business as usual. I'm going to get on with my own dreams. Because from here forward, it centers around Jesus. It centers around him being first. And it may uh, end up being more than you bargained for. But that's part of the beauty and adventure of having God in the center of our lives, that we follow the Lord Jesus. Can we pray? Jesus, thank you for actually coming, for actually doing it, for being born, for growing in obedience and growing in doing all the things that your Father in Heaven was doing and being the one who actually fulfilled all the requirements of the law and the very redemptive purpose of the Father. Lord, we are so humbled by your love and your mercy shown towards us that you would, having been righteous, become sin on our behalf and give us your righteousness as we cast our lives at your feet. Lord, this morning, that's what we do. In worship, we cast our lives at your feet. Lord, we consider our own plans as just rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this wonderful privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.